with verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Seraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amaria, son of Azariah, son of Meraoyoth, son of Zeriah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. Verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. We'll end our reading there for now. It's always, beloved brethren, a very sobering moment when setting apart individuals for the work of ministry. It is almost like, and I use the word almost there, but it's almost like throwing a person into a den of lions. That's the way I feel. Because of the difficulties that will inevitably come, the price that is going to be paid in carrying on this work. There will be scars. There will be enemies. There is so much a price to be paid. But then again, in the end, where there is success, and we pray there is, there is a lot to thank God for because lampstands will be erected and those lampstands will continue to shed light long after we ourselves are all buried. In other words, it is worth all the trouble. For me today is the culmination 
of uh, a relationship that began with these two brothers. Uh, the first was uh, Matthias, and I thought I should just quote to you that first correspondence that was on the 20th of August and 2019. And uh, he sent me a message on Facebook Messenger. And he says, hello, Pastor Conrad Mbewe. I am Matthias from Rwanda. I sincerely want to thank you for making your sermons and church programs available on social media. We have been following your sermons since 2015 up to now. The Lord has opened our eyes through your teachings together with other Reformed preachers. Please pray for Rwanda that the Lord may establish a biblical church here. Almost many of the churches around the city of Kigali and different locations of the country are preaching another gospel. Their main theme is prosperity, just to assure people to be comfortable in their own sins. Please remember our nation in your prayer. Our prayer is to see a biblical church being planted so that she may preach the gospel in the midst of a great darkness all around. Thank you. My response was 11 days later. <laughs> I'm sure they are used to that by now. <laughs> and I said, thanks, Matthias, for sharing this. It was good we chatted. I must have made a phone call in between, and we talked. Let's see how the Lord leads in enabling us to help his work in Rwanda. God bless you. Exactly one year later, it was Emmanuel who also got in touch. And uh, for a while, I thought actually it was the same person I was talking to. Uh, at some stage, he sent me a, a photo <clears throat> where I was in Kenya. And I took a picture with a beautiful young lady next to me, just the two of us. And he said, that lady next to you, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, so I, I began to separate the two of them after that, uh, because the other one had said he was married. And um, since then, he's married the girlfriend, and they have one child. So, uh, But after about two years, so this is now... Um, end of 2020, beginning 2021, it just became clear that we needed to do something. We had tried prior to that to help get people who are in East Africa to help them. With uh, Matthias, we had connected him to the brethren in Uganda, and they had even visited, but again, nothing really came out of it. With Emmanuel, we connected him to the brethren in Kenya. Again, nothing really was coming out of it. So they continued knocking, saying, hey, come over and help us. So finally, the elders agreed, and that's how we brought them before the church here, and we are truly grateful to God that the church endorsed that we adopt those two churches as daughter churches 
and then now a year later, in fact a year and a half later, we are uh, taking on these two men themselves as missionary pastors to plant these churches. It takes me back to October 1987 when this same church was a very small group of only 35 people and I was being set apart to be a pastor of this church really not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, we're meeting in a rented welfare hall, uh, just a few members. Um, yeah, but now this is what the Lord has done, and this is our prayer. We were praying with them a little earlier in the offices there that God might use these two men uh, to see the birth of Reformed Baptist churches in the whole of Rwanda and then to see so many churches being planted uh, over the years. In our case here, over a period of about 30 years, we now have slightly over 60 Reformed Baptist churches scattered across the country. And what a blessing it would be if these two brothers can but remain faithful uh, that we may hear of more and more and more churches being planted across Rwanda. It's obviously like planting a seed. You plant a seed and with that it begins to grow and germinate and produce seeds which also get spread out and then more and more plants continue to grow. That's what we're really talking about. But in our case, it's not so much that there are no churches in there were no churches in Zambia, or that there were no there are no churches in Rwanda. It's it's the issue of reform. It's the issue of churches that are more in line with the biblical pattern. It's an issue of churches that stick to the gospel, and therefore the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is being preached and proclaimed rather than some kind of deliverance mode that is equivalent to the African witch doctor. And my reason for taking you to Ezra is primarily because of that. Because what happened in Ezra was not really like Moses. It was not the beginning of uh, the church in the Old Testament. But it was really the, the recommencement. Because many years after Moses had been on the land and had established the foundation of the Old Testament church, which is the nation of Israel, the people went astray, stubbornly so, through especially idolatry. And it reached the point where God chastised the people. He literally forsook them. And consequently, uh, they were, most of the tribes were taken by the Assyrians, and then later on the other two tribes were taken by the Babylonians into exile. And so that is how they were all in a terrible state. The, the temple, that magnificent structure was completely 
brought down with all the its symbols within also taken into Babylon. Was the Babylonians in due season were uh, overtaken by uh, the, the Medes and Persians. And it was during that period that we have King Ataxexis here that is spoken about in uh, verse 1. But it wasn't just him, it was also Cyrus and so forth that God just moved in their hearts. These Gentile kings, God moved into their hearts that they might send back um, a remnant of these people to go and reestablish the worship of God in Jerusalem. And so we have a number of individuals. We know Nehemiah who went back and helped to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and so on. But even in Nehemiah, the book, you have, we will soon see Ezra as the individual who was the preacher. The preacher. And it was through his preaching that there came a renewed revival so that now the the re-establishment of the people of Israel, the, let's use the phrase, the reformation was now from inside out. It was from their hearts. And it was because these individuals were hearing the proclamation of the word. And so what I really want us to do in the next few minutes is to to specifically look at this role model. And hence my sermon title, Ezra, Our Noble Ministerial Example. What kind of individual was he? And what can we learn from him? Well, thankfully, we are told in the verses that we read that he was a scribe. In other words, an individual who studied and wrote the scriptures from one parchment to the other. He was a priest in the line of Aaron, and that's why you had all those son of, son of, son of, going right back generations. It was to, to link him finally to Aaron. And hence it says, this Ezra, who was the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra, so he was a priest. But also, he was a teacher of the law of Moses to the exiles. And it is primarily this last part that we are interested in. Something else that was true about him is that he was appointed by King Ataxerxes to also be an actual ruler, an actual governor over the people that were there. We see this in verse 25 and verse 26. This is in the letter that was written by King Ataxerxes, which he gave to Ezra. Perhaps let me read verse 11 because that puts it in context. This is a copy of the letter that King Ataxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe. A man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes 
for Israel. And hence it begins. Ataxexis, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, peace. And then all these paragraphs are in that letter. But verse 25. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. Now, beyond the river is actually the name of the province. So you can see it's in capitals there. All such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. So he, he was given the position of leader and ruler over these people. But in the midst of all that, he was a preacher. And there are three things that we learn from him concerning his life as a preacher, which turned the people of Israel around as they were returning to Judah and to Jerusalem. And it's found in verse 10. Verse 10. Just three things, and they're quite easy for us to remember. For Ezra, number one, had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Number two, and to do it. And number three, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Just those three, and we will be done. So first of all, what made Ezra an effective reformer was that he set his heart to study the law of God. It was not simply that he studied the law of God, but he committed himself to it. Hence that phrase, he set his heart to study the law of God. It was the way in which his ministry was characterized. Now, for Ezra, that phrase, studying the law of God, had to do with the, the Pentateuch, or what we now call the Torah. It's the first five books of the law of Moses. Those are the ones that he had with him, that entire scroll that I think the elders and deacons and uh, um, interns saw that I brought all the way across the Atlantic and we, we were gazing on it last weekend and now it is with the African Christian University. That Torah is what he was pouring over and studying again and again and again, seeking to understand God's mind for the people of Israel. In fact, it's these commandments that are referred to in verse 11, where uh, we are told this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned, notice, in matters of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes for Israel. And there were many. 
especially from Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy, which simply means the second law, the repeating of those same laws that had earlier on been given in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. When that is now applied to us in the New Testament, it's not just the Pentateuch. For my two brothers here, and for those of us who are in the work of eldership, it is to study the whole of the Bible. Sixty-six books. In other words, twelve times five. Going further. That's what we're dealing with here. Going further than that. Those are the books that we currently have that we are supposed to be pouring ourselves into. And so the appeal that I am making to my two brothers is to study the whole Bible and to give yourselves to studying it. And that's not simply saying memorizing as much of it as possible, but especially making sure that you are understanding how each of these books points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of the books of the Old Testament and indeed even of the New Testament. Because Jesus himself made it abundantly clear that the scriptures speak about me. The scriptures speak about me. And therefore, it is important that you are Bible students. It's going to demand a lot of money on your part because it means buying Bible helps, buying commentaries, buying books that are study books related to the Bible and so forth. So there's going to be demand on you concerning finances. It's going to be also a demand on you with respect to time. In other words, many lonely hours Lonely in the sense that you are not with friends. You are not with family. You are locked away studying for many hours in order for you to be one that can be spoken about as learned in matters of the Bible. That's one of the reasons why you are being set apart and being remunerated for that purpose or reason. It is so that you are not encumbered with the demands of getting out there in a job in order to earn money so that you can feed and clothe your family. This is going to be your work. When you are alone in your study, poring over the sacred scriptures and reading the various books that are related to the Bible 
unto the work of ministry, you are working. You are earning your salary. You must remain the number one student of the whole Bible in your two churches. Covenant Reformed Baptist Church and Reformation Baptist Church. You must remain the number one student. God forbid that you should now start using your time loitering around, being a jack of all trades and a master of none. Let it be that the hours that you have taken away from that other form of employment, those hours are being spent being studious. Like Ezra here, a heart given to the study of the law of the Lord. But number two, what made Ezra an effective reformer was that he set his heart to apply the law of God. To apply the law of God. Back to our text. For Ezra <clears throat> had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and then the Bible says, and to do it. And to do it. There are two senses in which he was doing it, and in each case, it's simply applying the law of the Lord. The first is in terms of his own personal and family life. His own personal and family life. And no doubt, that's one of the reasons why the Lord was pleased with him. That's why the Lord distinguished him from so many other priests that he would be the one to go and carry out the reformation that took place here. It is because he is somebody that applied this law to himself. Even the king, King Ataxexis, was able to, to see something about him that distinguished him and consequently was able to appoint him that he might be the one to undertake such a noble work. I cannot emphasize this enough. The greatest hindrance to a preacher's ministry is not his, the number of enemies he has. No. They can back as much as they want, come up with all kinds of false accusations if they want. If the law of the Lord is the law of your life. It is all like water off a duck's back. That's what it is. It's completely useless because the people you are ministering to, the people who see your life, will be able to say, no, we know him. 
we see him. His wife, his children are here with us. This cannot be. In other words, the greatest hindrance to your ministry is not bad people around you. It is you yourself. When you become negligent, when you stop applying the law of the Lord, so to speak, and for us, it's the entire Bible, when you stop applying the Bible to yourself, to your personal life, to your family life, you stop applying it, you become a hypocrite. That becomes the beginning of your end. So, Ezra, not only study this book, but ask the question, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? And consequently, went ahead to apply it. But secondly, as with all reform, Ezra not only applied it to his own personal life, but he also applied it to the people of Israel. And if we go to chapter 9 and chapter 10, we have an example of this. Obviously, I don't have time to open up all these two chapters. There is so much in it. But let me at least read just the first part. Verse 9, oh, sorry, chapter 9, verse 1. After these things had been done, the officials approached me, this is Ezra speaking, and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. And then he mentions a number of these peoples. Verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. In other words, some of the leaders have been the chief culprits. Look at verse 3. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled the hair from my head and beard and sat uphold. In other words, he was affected by the faithlessness of the people of Israel. Verse 4, Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned Israel, exiles rather, gathered around me while I sat uphold until the evening sacrifice. He goes on to say, under the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God saying and then what you have in the, the rest of this chapter is a heart moving prayer by Ezra, basically saying, Lord, 
we have sinned. Chapter 10, verse 1. While Ezra prayed and made confession, notice, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. So this wasn't just anger, and therefore demanding changes. This was a man whose heart was broken by the sinfulness of the people who were around. Verse 3, Therefore, let us make, this is the, the people now speaking to Ezra, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. And Israel rose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel taken off that they would do as had been said. So they took an oath. And so reform began to happen in the whole area of marriage. In the whole area of marriage. So the point is, he did not just apply it to himself, he also applied it to the people. But listen to this. That which you are passing on to the people as reform must be evident in the way you live. It must be evident in your example. It must be. Part of the disaster with the prosperity gospel is that it has turned the church round to the point where it's not about God, it's about us. It's a consumer mentality. It's about how we can make more money and so on, and the church is simply the means of doing it. You must be seen to be utterly different because you are taking the Bible seriously. And then you can be talking about applying it to the church. And when applying it to the church, you ought to show that you are broken about it. That it's, 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 it's not simply anger that's coming out of you, but that you are distraught by the sin that is taking place in the church. You ought to be individuals who are therefore patient with the people of God. Patient also with your family as there are adjustments being made to what you are learning from Scripture. If there's one area in which I failed over and over again in the earlier part of my ministry, it was patience. Patience with God's people. I remember once I would study and I would see this is what the Bible says. I would come to church and teach it. And I expected everybody to change the following week. Yes, 
a lot of people were flying out of windows to escape Kawata Baptist Church. It took quite some time to learn to be patient. To be patient. That it takes time for reform to happen. At least I have the excuse that they took me in when I was 25 years old and an unmarried, therefore an unbroken individual. You don't have that excuse. So be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Thirdly, and lastly, back to our text. What made Ezra an effective reformer was that he set his heart to teach the law of God. It wasn't simply that he was studying it and applying it. He was a diligent teacher. He, 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 as far as he was concerned, that was his primary job to be a preacher of the law of God. We have a, a glimpse of this in the next book, which is Nehemiah and chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm tempted to read the whole of it, but uh, let me spare you. I will read sections of it, but I want you to notice how for Ezra, he felt that his job was that of a preacher. Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. So this was a, a public square. And the people came out in mass to listen to him. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So he brought the Torah before them. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both the men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. So he preached to the whole assembly. I want you to notice in verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And there were a number of individuals who stood next to him. The point I want to make there is that he had a pulpit. So he wasn't just mingling among the people talking. He stood on an actual higher stage and proclaimed the word of the Lord there. And then we also see the way in which the people responded respectfully. Respectfully. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. So they could see clearly as he's opening the Torah. And he opened it. Rather, and as he opened it, all the people just stood up. 
And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And they answered, all the people answered, Amen. Amen. And that phrase simply means, so be it. So be it. Lifting up their hands. And we are told, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. So obviously they finally just knelt down and put their faces to the ground. That's the respect that they were showing to the people, rather to the scriptures. But also, we are told he expounded what was being read here together with the help of these other individuals that are listed in verse 7. We read in verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading there was help in the exposition of the law of god so it wasn't just a starting point and then they went on to talk about whatever stories they had in the village uh-uh it was exposition of the word that the word might be understood. And then it was preached grippingly, grippingly. There was heart and soul that resulted in the people being gripped. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why were they being told not to mourn and weep? Well, we are told here, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They were affected by what they were hearing to the point of shedding tears to the point of wailing as though they had a funeral. And then lastly, they listened obediently. Obediently. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses, of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Listen to this. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy leaves, leafy trees rather, to make booths as it is written. So there it is, and listen to the following verse. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, 
By the way, the roofs were flat, so don't attempt it on yours. Eh? And in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and so on and so forth, verse 17, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days of Joshua, Joshua the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. So previously they had abandoned this, pro this um, custom. But now learning about it in the word of God, they began to do it. They began to do it. And that's the reformation that took place. Well, brethren, if I can apply this to Emmanuel and Matthias, you two brothers, your, your gifting is certainly obvious. Your calling to the ministry is equally obvious from the work that you are already doing out there. The, the Bible study groups have literally now become actual churches with uh, individuals that are coming to Christ and being baptized and uh, gathering together as uh, families of God um, and so forth. So there's already evidence of uh, the, the gifts that God has given you. And now we are setting you apart officially to get back there and be the official pastors of those churches, preachers in those two churches, with the authority of Kawata Baptist Church, sending you back to fulfill this. And therefore, you must get back there with no apology, like Ezra, to give yourselves to the consistent and systematic exposition of the scriptures. That's what so many churches are lacking. And that's the reason why so many churches have gone astray. It's that the so-called men of God are now more of deliverers than preachers. They are now supposed to be simply reeking with some kind of power to make people fall backwards. Instead of teaching those same people the word of God consistently. I love the way Steve Lawson has put it. That there are only two kinds of preachers in the world. Just two. Preachers who expound the scriptures and preachers who should be fired. Just two. Just two. May you be in the first category. Those who, like Ezra, preach the word. Well, let me quickly wrap up. We have here a noble ministerial example to follow. Rwanda badly needs biblical reformation and true spiritual revival. This is how you do it. That's how you do it. The, the, this is not rocket science. There are no twists and turns or tricks of the trade. It's simply 
preach and pray, preach and pray, preach and pray. But make sure that that's first of all being applied to you, the preachers, and to your family life. We are looking forward, if the Lord spares our lives, to what God will do, beginning with you, in the next 10, 20, 30 years. We pray that you will exceed what God has done in Zambia. But may I assure you that it can only be done in this biblical way. If you are going to be like Ezra, only then, if you two men will set your hearts to study the word of God and to do it, and to teach its contents to the people who gather in your church and to the people around Rwanda, Kigali, and further on across Rwanda. Only then will God do this to you. So study to see Christ in the scriptures. Apply Christ to yourselves and to your families. And then teach Christ to your congregations and to wherever it is that you go to preach. You are already going around from the reports you are giving to me around Kigali, around uh, Rwanda. Keep at it. Be preachers. And then finally, never lose sight of the importance of integrity. Secretly straying away from this noble example will spell the end, the death knell to your ministry. It's as simple as that. As secret as it might be, God finally says, open the wardrobe doors. The skeletons fall out, and that's it. That's it. That's it. So don't go that way. Hold on to your integrity. Be on the outside what you are on the inside. Or better still, be on the inside what you are on the outside. May the Lord grow your ministries, Matthias and Emmanuel, so that many other churches will multiply in Rwanda. Churches that follow the New Testament pattern. With the blessing of God. Amen.